From E-Town Hall in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, it's E-Town. We continue this week highlighting guests from the year 2013, including Lord Huron, Terry Allen, Milk Carton Kids, and Aoife O'Donovan, plus a conversation with author Terry Tempest-Williams and more. I'm Helen Forster. Right now, here comes our host, Nick Forster. Thank you, Helen. Hello, everybody. Welcome to E-Town here in the fall of 2022. We just got back from a trip to Northwest Arkansas where we recorded some exciting music and interviews, and we've been gathering songs and conversations from some of our favorite folks here in Colorado, too, aiming towards a new season of live shows. Meanwhile, the gift that keeps on giving the E-Town archives are bountiful and generous. This week is certainly no exception. We've got a couple of visits with folks from the Southwest including Terry Allen, the prolific artist and songwriter from Santa Fe, who's now 79 years old, and Terry Tempest-Williams, the author and environmentalist, who now divides her time between teaching at Harvard and her home in Utah. Plus, we've got lots of music, all from our 2013 season, as we march ever closer to the present. By this time in our history, all the songs you'll hear this week are also on video. You can find them on Vimeo or on our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to if you'd like to. No pressure. I know it's helped me remember whether or not we're actually playing and singing with some of our guests, so all that stuff is there if you'd like. Our first set of music features the Northwest Arkansas native Joe Purdy, the aforementioned Terry Allen, and starting off, a band that formed in Los Angeles about 10 years ago. They came to E-Town not long after they got started. And since then, they have become really well-known. Lots of their songs have been on TV shows and such. But here they are, earlier in their career, for their first visit to E-Town back in 2013. Here on stage at E-Town, Lord Huron.
desert that science can't dimension. I am gonna count all the dudes. Out there's a world that calls for me, girl. Heading out to the unknown. Wayfaring and strangers and all kinds of danger. Please don't say I'm going alone. To the ends of the earth, would you follow? What good is living the life you've been given If I only do stand in place I'm on a river that winds on forever If I hold it till I get where I'm going Maybe I'm heading to die But I'm still gonna try I guess I'm going home Right now, I want to tell you about our next guest. I first heard about Terry Allen when I was very briefly in a band with Jimmy Dale Gilmore back in the mid-70s. And through him, I met several folks from Lubbock, Texas, like Tommy Hancock and Butch Hancock and Joe Ely, and they all talked about this guy, Terry Allen. And then uh, some friends of ours in a band called The Country Gazette recorded a few of Terry's songs, and then I got his album called Juarez, which was unlike anything I had ever heard before, kind of like an audio play. Made me a little nervous, to tell you the truth. I don't know why. <laughs> and then when we started E-Town back in 1991, I was walking down the street one weekend, and our friend Bud Shark introduced me to Terry, who was in town to do some work with him. And I asked him right then if he could be on E-Town the next day. We had a show. And that was 22 years ago. And uh, this is the first time we've seen each other since then. Terry Allen is an artist in the truest sense in that he just makes a lot of stuff. He's inspired by whatever inspires him. He uh, writes songs, makes sculptures, writes plays, does paintings, records, books. He just keeps making stuff. He's received all kinds of awards and honors, including a Guggenheim Fellowship and a National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship. And his work has been shown all over the world and is in major collections, including the Metropolitan and the Museum of Modern Art in New York and 
His public sculptures can be found in uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Diego, and also in the Denver, Houston, and Dallas airports. He's recorded 11 albums of original songs, and his songs have been covered by lots of other artists like Guy Clark, A Little Feet, Robert O'Keen, David Byrne, Cracker, Lucinda Williams, and on and on and on. So this could go on for a while, I know. But the point is, Terry is a very unconventional guy who's chosen his own very creative path, and he's been on it a while, and we're very happy he's back with us. Please help me welcome back, now living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Mr. Terry Allen. Thank you, Mary. Uh, several years ago, uh, around uh, Christmas holidays, Guy and Susanna Clark uh, came to visit us, and uh, we'd lost a little dog named Queenie, sweet little dog, a couple of months before, and just disappeared. We didn't know what happened to her. While Guy and I were sitting in my studio, my son, Bale, came in and said, Dad, I, I found a dead dog, and... Uh, so I went out with him. We were looking out in the trees, and laying under one of them was um, Queenie. Had an obvious bullet hole in the side of her. So I went uh, back to my studio, and and I uh, said, "Guy, some uh, some bitch shot my dog." And he said, "Well, let's write a song about it." You know. <laughs> so we did. <laughs>
Mother Death and Father Time, they're almost loaded up. Headed for the borderline in a stolen pickup truck. For old acquaintance, not forgotten, for old dogs left behind. I can't forgive and I won't forget the year of 99. Singing old Lang Syne. Queenie's getting better. It's time to dig the hole. New Year's Day in Santa Fe broke me. It broke cold. Thanks, Helen. Thanks, Luke. Please welcome back to E Town, Mr. Joe Purdy. I wrote a beginning of this song a little while ago, not too long ago, and um, between my plane ride this morning and sound check, I might have finished it. Um, and crazier yet, Helen has agreed to sing it with me, even though I don't know it. But she sings so pretty that it won't matter. And. Um, Well, here we go. That's called wildflowers, I think. <laughs> There's a coward dying on the back porch, and I had a fever of a hundred and four. Any hope that I had of you coming back is gone with this dying one. And I'm sorry that I couldn't see him. And I'm sorry that you had to go. But I'm hoping that someday you'll make. To the fields where wildflowers grow mm -hmm. well, I can see the cross from the hillside And I can see the lights downtown I used to see your face every single day, but I try not to think about it now. And I'm sorry that I couldn't hold on, but there's no way that I could have known. I'm waiting through all of the seasons. You never
sorry that I couldn't save him And I'm sorry that you had to go But I'm hoping that someday you'll make it To the fields where the wildflowers grow well, I'm hoping that someday you'll make it To the fields where the wildflowers grow How about that? Helen <laughs> Corsi. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Joe Purdy, doing a brand new song that he wrote that day. Thanks also to Terry Allen and Lord Huron. We'll be back with more after a break. Your visit to E-Town is made possible in part by the Scientific and Cultural Facilities District, or SCFD, one of the largest cultural funding mechanisms in the United States, supporting nearly 300 organizations in the greater Denver area. In case you tuned in late and you've missed some of this week's program, the E-Town Podcast will have this episode and others, along with content from past shows as well. It's available for free in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, and other podcast directories. You're listening to E-Town. Welcome back. I'm Nick Forster. Up next, a very accomplished author and poet and activist and educator and all-around champion of both the natural world and the better aspects of our human nature, Terry Tempest Williams. Here she is on stage at E-Town from 2013. Yes, I like this. I like it when you're here. I like having you back. I love being here, oh. and thank you. Your newest book, it's called When Women Were Birds, 54 Variations on Voice. And I will say that after all the things I've read of yours, I know as a little girl, you were somebody who was really fascinated with birds. You know, my grandmother Mimi gave yeah. me the field guide to Western birds when I was five, and I would pour over those colored plates, and I would dream about those birds long before I ever saw them. Yeah. So when I would see a long-billed curlew or an avocet or stilt out at Great Salt Lake, I would recognize them as kin. Yeah, that's amazing. And set you on your path. Yes. You I know. mean, they're birds I gauge my life by. Yeah. And, you know, that was a, a gift from my grandmother. Yeah, it's a great way to stay connected and stay uh, humbled in this natural world in many ways. And I love that story about when you, as an eight-year-old, spotted a, a, a robin who was, in fact, albino. And right. missing all its color, and you went to report it to the Audubon Society, and they said, sorry, kid, you're too young. Right? No credibility yeah. as an eight-year-old. But more um, than that, I loved your grandmother's response. Do you remember what she said? She said, you know what you saw. You don't need to be counted. <laughs> it's pretty good, and that's also set you on your path. It did. Yeah. 
I should mention that at one point you were a biology teacher at a very conservative uh, Mormon school in Salt Lake City in yes. which they didn't like the word biology. No, biology denoted sexual reproduction, and they said we will have none of that in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> and they did have one very stringent question for me, you know, when I was reprimanded for playing whale songs. Do you remember Roger Payne and the humpback right. whale? Yeah. Well, I was so excited for my students to hear this. I really wanted them to experience what it felt like to be a whale. Anyway, we covered the windows with blue paper, turned off the lights. It felt like the ocean, moved the desks to the side. We were all on the floor, and I stood up, you know, to put on the record player, and it was a record, of Roger Payne's great Songs of the Humpback Whale. <laughs> That's right. Woo! And the children were swimming, swimming. Well, Mrs. Jeffs, our headmaster, who I can tell you only wore brown, was very serious, with sensible shoes, um, heard these god-awful sounds coming out of room four, and she immediately, you know, threw open the door. What on earth is going on? Yeah. And one of the first graders quickly stood up and said, we're calling to our mates. <laughs> <laughs> and it was at that point, yeah. I believe Mrs. Jeffs grabbed me by the ear and took me to the <laughs> office and basically said, Mrs. Williams, we have one question for you and you better think hard about how you answer this. Are you an environmentalist? <laughs> And I said, I am. And I'm, I'm sick to my stomach even telling you this story. Wow. And uh, she said, we thought so. Uh, <laughs> we were highly suspect when you and your husband went to Alaska and did not carry a gun. <laughs> and then Mr. Jeffs, who was about six foot seven, also with sensible shoes, said, Mrs. Williams, do you know that the devil is an environmentalist. <laughs> and I said, oh, wow. I did not. <laughs> and I was fired. Oh. And then I was rehired because they said, what would we tell the children? Right. And at that point we agreed that Mrs. Jeffs would never come into my classroom unannounced and I would not be political in my classroom. And I have to say, she made me a better teacher mm -hmm. because I realized it wasn't about polemics and propagandas and whale charms dangling from my neck, but really um, creating an atmosphere where children could have their own sense of wonder and curiosity. Yeah, wow, what a good story. Yeah. There's, as I understand it, tr a tradition in Mormon culture where women are encouraged to write in journals. Yes, and... I mean, lots of women write in journals, but Mormon women are encouraged to write in journals. Right, I received yeah. mine again when I was eight years old from my great-grandfather, Lawrence Blackett, and it had a lock and a key, which was very helpful having three brothers. Um, but you are taught that you record your history, and I was very aware of that having my grandmother's, my great-grandmother's, and my great-great-grandmother's journals, even polygamous journals of women who were not pleased to be seeing their husbands take a second, third, and fourth wife. Wow. And uh, what better place to have an opportunity to confess those feelings than the privacy of your own journal? Yes. Um, there were in your house 
shelves filled with journals that were your mother's journals that she specifically asked be passed on to you and that you not open them until she's not around and that after she died, you opened them and what did you discover? All her journals were blank. Shelf after shelf after shelf. Was it an act of defiance? Because that's what Mormon women do is keep journals and uh, bear children. Or was she saying fill them? Or was it her attempt, journal after journal after journal, that she would? You know, I will never know. She left me a koan, a Japanese koan, and again, a great gift. I thought I was writing a book about voice, and I think in my mother's uh, prescient manner, I realized she left me her silences. Yeah. It's powerful. That particular act is pretty powerful. At first I thought, this is a mystery, but a mystery is something to be solved, and I realized, no, she left me something very mysterious, and to hold that uncertainty as a stone. Terry Tempest-Williams, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Nick, and thank you. Thanks to Terry Tempest-Williams. By the way, I found her book, Finding Beauty in a Broken World, particularly helpful these days, these complicated days for sure. Up next, we've got the Milk Carton Kids, but first, originally from Boston, now living in Florida, here's Aoife O'Donovan playing with the house band live on stage from back in 2013. Thanks so much. Say a special thanks to Nick Forster for loaning me this snazzy guitar. (laughs) I think it's in 1935, 018. Is that right? We can talk about this later, but I love it. Uh, I wrote this next tune a couple years back, right after the 4th of July. What do you like to do for 4th of July, usually? Uh... Eat hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be vegetarian, and now I'm not. So, um, any any chance I get to eat a hamburger, I'm, I'm just we're making up for lost time, really. <laughs> <laughs> I do know this girl likes to eat. <laughs> it's the best thing in the world, right? Yes. Well, yeah, I think so. Well, no, actually, I can think of one other thing that's slightly better, but. <laughs> Another day in E-Town, folks. (laughs) It's called Red and White and Blue and Gold. Touch my toes on the beach. It's the fourth of July. 
Welcome from Eagle Rock, California, the Milk Carton Kids. Milk Carton Kids, welcome, you guys. You two had both had sort of solo careers that, that uh, how were those going? Bad. <laughs> Yeah, well, how no, bad were the solo careers? Just like shameful, yeah. <laughs> I mean, real bad. Yeah. <laughs> in need of resuscitation, or not even that, but just in need of you know actually uh, having somebody you know close its eyes and zip up the body bag, and so we could start again. <laughs> it was a bit of a resuscitation, and maybe this will bring us to uh, another nice segue to your having challenged our choice of uh, album titles for our first two records. Uh, in that the way that we started playing music together was to sit on Kenneth's porch there and trade songs back and forth that we'd written and mostly previously recorded as solo artists. Uh, and we, you know, as a solo artist, you often find yourself in a room with one producer or maybe even yourself as the producer and a lot of time and a lot of instruments laying around and a lot of friends that play a lot of different instruments and you can really chase uh, a really big sound or down a lot of rabbit holes. And I think that once we stripped away everything to just these two guitars that we play and our two voices, somehow the center of all these songs that we'd been chasing for the last 10 years seemed to reveal itself in a way that it hadn't before. Yeah. And sometimes that could probably be, uh, it could reveal the fact that the song wasn't that good or wasn't ready, right? So you had to We get found out a lot of them weren't very good. Yeah. <laughs> But, but, but enough of them were that uh, yeah. our first recording entitled Retrospect is a live album of songs from our solo careers arranged for the duo. I see. And that is sort of the zipping up of the body bag, you yeah. see why it's called Retrospect yeah. now. Another beautiful segue. <laughs> yeah. um, and, then, and, then, uh, and then you're off and running. And you know, it's so, it's, what's so interesting is we're talking about your career as this extant uh, sort of big thing, but it's really just a couple of years you guys have been doing this. Yeah, it's, well, uh, officially the Milk Carton Kids started about uh, two years ago uh, this month, um, and we met each other about a year before that. Wow. So it does feel very new when we talk about it in, in the context of most of the other artists we seem to run around with nowadays, but it also feels like forever in that in the entire time we've rarely been more than three feet apart from each other physically. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly in minivans and yeah. shared hotel rooms. Yeah. Joe's wife loves me. Yeah. <laughs> she would if you guys ever met <laughs> Unfortunately all that time Kenneth and I spend together is not at home Yeah um, 
And I should mention that your guitars are roughly twice as old as you guys are. Yeah. And, um, and you have a commitment to playing without being plugged in. No DIs, no electronics, just microphones. And it's a beautiful sound. But it also creates a level of challenge for you in those, some of those situations, I suspect. Well, it does. Uh, the happy consequence is that you find audiences that actually have to spend a little more energy putting themselves into the show. I think you often find by the end of a milk carton kids show, we're all in it together. Yeah. Even if we're all asleep. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. Of course, you know, I mean, do you have um, sort of musical heroes or people that you say, man, oh man, someday we'll like to be on that show with them or we'd like to meet those people or are the people that you're sort of drawn towards or emulating in some ways? or Oh, there's all kinds, but we've already accomplished that. Yeah. In wow. our short two years. Wow. We've tracked them, them all. all down. Yeah. They're shackled to the radiator in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> He's the unmarried one. Well, given the wide open landscape and given the aspirational nature of Los Angeles and that cultural influence, why are your songs so sad? Uh, Well, (laughs) there's a lot to be depressed about in Los Angeles as well, isn't there? (laughs) No, but I think it's important, and Kenneth always harps on this, which is ironic because he's the less hopeful of the two of us, uh, which is that... uh, a sad song is nothing without the, uh, some sort of hope injected into it. And I think you can look at a situation with despair, but you can't help but have that sort of fire inside that, uh, you know, that lives on and wants to contradict the thing that you're confronting uh, in your writing. So I think that in, even though it's, some of it's quiet and sad and we, uh, we joke that it is, obviously, and, and sometimes it is just downright depressing, um, but I wouldn't want anybody to think that we look at the world with anything less than a great hopefulness. Well said. That's well said. I'm, I'm happy that you guys are um, you're clearly thoughtful and you've spent a lot of time thinking about this and studying the traditions and paying attention, but also real, uh, you have a real commitment to making something new, making new songs. I don't understand what he just said, Nick. <laughs> Sounded like a load of bull to me there. <laughs> I was just paraphrasing what you were saying the other day. Even better. Yeah, even better. So, so um, you know, I was talking to Martin a little bit before about how the uh, traditions of the music business with the powerful record companies and radio stations and all that stuff, and it all kind of got, went upside down, the internet and downloads and all this stuff. And you guys took it even one step further by um, giving away your records for free. So help us understand how that's going. How's that working out? Well, that's going great, thank you. (laughs) We took a rickshaw here. (laughs) Which one was pulling? (laughs) (laughs) That's good. no, it, 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 it's funny. At the time, I, I think, I wonder if we've learned more from the last two years of having our first two records on our website available for free than the amount of thought we could have possibly been able to put into it at the beginning. It's really been uh, an enlightening process for me to see the way that people have reacted to what they perceive as a, a selfless offering of this art that we've 
endeavored to make. The reason we decided to do it, or we thought we decided to do it, was that we were going to go on tour for, you know, ever. And we wanted people to hopefully come to the shows. And we just started a band that nobody had ever heard of. So we figured that people had better start hearing of us if they were going to buy a concert ticket. And the best way to do that would be to put the records out there for free for people to take them and do what they want with them. And and they did. And they shared them enthusiastically and incessantly. And we were able to tour successfully uh, pretty much right off the bat. I don't think that would have been possible without that. The, The... elevation of the value of that art in people's eyes when they receive it for free, when you remove any process of marketing, commoditizing, or commercializing it, makes people receive it in a much different way. One Something that people often ask us is, don't you feel like you're devaluing your art when you offer it for free? That way you're saying it's worthless. And I actually think it's exactly the opposite. I think the, only, the way that we most dangerously devalue our art is in the process of marketing it and in commercializing it. Uh, And I think that actually goes a long way toward explaining why people for the last several years have been ambivalent, at least, about stealing music. Mm -hmm. And so people receive it as a gift, and they feel appreciative, and they have a connection to it in a way that may not have happened otherwise. I think Uh, so. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting theory. (laughs) (laughs) Probably also... (laughs) I mean, you know... Well, it's strange. They bought tickets... Right. And you they, don't give your tickets away. We don't give our tickets away. In fact, we're a live band. Yeah. That's what we always thought we were. Yeah. You know, we've done what, 270 shows since then, two years. It was all to the point, I thought. Nicely said. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite interview we've ever done. By the way. It really is. Anyway, I'm really enjoying getting to know you guys, and I know we have time for some more music, and we're going to do that in a minute. But I appreciate your candor. Yeah. Well, it wasn't hard to get real. These people are all high anyway. (laughs) They won't remember. It's Colorado, man. That's the new state motto, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to get David Grisman to record it. (laughs) When you get to the airport, hey, man, it's Colorado. All right, you kids, I think it's time to get back to work. (laughs) Welcome back to E-Town, the Milk Carton Kids. Thank you, guys. You guys are perfect. I'm sure whoever's listening on the radio is perfect, too. Um, We wanted to start with our happy song. And it's just going to sort of go down uh, from here, uh, tempo-wise and and mood-wise, until we just reach a fizzle. But you seem like a particularly rowdy bunch anyway. Underdressed, I'll say that. Kiss from the cold 
Thank you to the Milk Carton Kids and to Aoife O'Donovan. We'll be back with music from Caitlin Rose and Gregory Allen Isakoff after a short break. This portion of E-Town is made possible by the Bohemian Foundation, building stronger communities through the Bohemian qualities of creativity and imagination. On the web at bohemianfoundation.org. And if you're curious about E-Town's home base, E-Town Hall, our beautiful solar-powered music venue, community center, and recording studio located in downtown Boulder, Colorado, you can learn more about it on our website, etown.org. You're listening to E-Town. I'm Nick Forster. I'd like to say hello to our listeners who are hearing E-Town on stations like WMFE in Orlando, Florida, on KSMF, Ashland, Oregon, Jefferson Public Radio, and on KHNS, 
radio for the Upper Lynn Canal in Haines, Alaska. As always, if you'd like some more information about any of the things we're up to at E-Town, you can find all kinds of stuff at etown.org. Welcome back, everybody. Our next set features a Colorado musician who's been really smart about his career. He's a master gardener at his small farm outside of Boulder. He tours and records every year. He's grown his fan base to where it's huge. He plays Red Rocks. He plays with orchestras, all the best stuff. That is, of course, Gregory Allen Isakoff. And before Greg, we've got a Nashville-based singer-songwriter who's been pretty quiet since she was on our show almost 10 years ago, but she has a new record coming out in November of this year here from the E-Town Archives is Caitlin Rose.
Welcome back to E-Town, along with his friends, Gregory Allen Isakoff. We're going to bring Nick and Helen out for a song. This is a song about a house. It's called If I Go, I'm Going. Quite the keep 
Thank you, Gregory Allen Isakoff and his band. Thanks to Caitlin Rose. We are out of time. I want to thank all of our guests this week for generously sharing their archived performances. I want to thank our production crew of Todd Ayers and a special thanks to Helen Forster. We're going to leave you with a taste of Irish music inspired by the real-life drama of the Copper Mines 100 years ago in Montana as played by the band Solas. I'm Nick Forster. Hope you can be with us next week right here in E-Town.
This is a production of E-Town. All right, everybody, there you have it. 2013 was a big year for us, and I hope you enjoyed all the music, plus those great conversations. Loved visiting with Terry Tempest-Williams and Terry Allen and all the rest. I'm Nick Forster. Thanks for listening.